0: is the Chris Shearn Show, only on YesNetwork.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Chris Shearn Show here on yesnetwork.com. The usual suspects are here. Without Kevin Pollack, it's Chris Shearn and Doug Williams. Thanks for joining us once again. And Doug, thanks for stopping by once again. Of course. Of course. My second podcast of the day. We did the Yes Men earlier. There you go. And in case you didn't know that, Lou DePetro and Doug uh, Williams do the Yes Men. So Check out both of these. A lot of personality going on here, so you don't want to miss either one. A couple of things to talk about this week. Uh, We'll definitely get into uh, LeBron James and the whole Mount Rushmore interview that he did. That's coming out uh, on Monday on NBA TV. Uh, Talk about Michael Sam. He's the prevailing huge story this week, so we can't go by and leave that out. And also, guess what's starting on Friday uh, as we sit here on a Wednesday, spring training, uh, the eight-month Yankee odyssey will begin. We hope it's eight months. We hope it lasts until October, uh, but we'll see what happens there. But we'll talk a little bit about everything, and we want to get you going now with uh, LeBron James. Now, this this is the problem, Doug, and, and this is going to be a running theme on this podcast. It, it was before you came aboard when I was doing this by myself and with Joe Oriam in the past. But it's that whole social media culture that's out there. And... What I like to call – and I'm guilty of it sometimes too – people who just read headlines and nothing else. They don't click on the story or they'll just read a tweet that's 140 characters or less because that's all you get, as we all know. And if, you know, the tweets that I was seeing and the headlines that I was seeing is that now we know LeBron James is a very confident individual. And if you could back it up on the floor, I don't see any problem with somebody being confident. I know people, a lot of people hate LeBron James. I get that. It's fine. It's, it's all well and good. But you have to respect the hell out of the way this guy works and the way this guy is nonstop on the floor in practice during a game. I don't care if you're a Nick fan and you hate this guy. He's kind of like my generation's Michael Jordan. I'm not comparing the two, but in a way that, God, you just couldn't stand that he wasn't on your team because he killed you every time. And at the same time, you have to sit back in your chair and go, Man, I respect the heck out of his game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with the first thing you said wholeheartedly, the fact that there are so many people in the social media age that really don't read. Because, you know, I'll tweet something out and someone will tweet at me saying, I disagree with that. Well, it's like, well, you didn't read the article. <laughs> because you responded 30 seconds after I tweeted. So you couldn't have read the whole Isn't article. It, great? it happens all the time. I'm but so
1: glad you hammered that hole in there with
0: that example. Uh, well, with the LeBron James thing, it's so funny, Chris, if you think about it. Would he be as hated... As he is now by, you know, mainstream culture. It's not just Cavs fans. People who root for any team but the Miami Heat hate LeBron James. So would people hate him this much if it weren't for the decision? Because I think that that was his main mistake. Otherwise, people would just be hating on greatness.
1: Pretty much. I I think that's what created so much vitriol to this guy was the fact that he went on national TV. And, and I, I'm not – listen, Cleveland could hate him as much as they want because what he did – Nick fans hate him because he didn't pick New York. But right now, if LeBron James made the decision and came to New York, how many Nick fans would hate the decision? They wouldn't. They'd right. be right
0: on board. We'd love it. we Right,
1: think, right. You know. So it was the way he handled things. It was the way he went about it. And, and it just – it gave a lot of people – A bad impression of the guy, but even he has come out recently and said that he shouldn't have handled it the way he handled it. So even now he knows uh, that should have been handled differently. But if you just read the headline and you didn't go in and you, you you don't read the story or anything behind it, you know, before he mentioned that he wants to be on Mount Rushmore before it's all said and done, which I don't think is a bad thing to say, especially going back to what I said at the beginning, I have no problem with confidence. he's the best player in the world, along with Kevin Durant. I mean, look at them this year. Durant is just, when Westbrook went out, he's been unbelievable. I mean, they're 1-2. Either way, if you put them either way, I I can't argue. Either way, they're 1-2 in the NBA, 1-2 in the world as far as best two players out there. Now, here's what LeBron did say. The easy three that we all talk about in our league, you've got Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and I would say the fourth, wow, this is so tough, the greatest players of all time that I'd like to see on Mount Rushmore, this is not fair, Oscar Robertson, those are my four. So, before LeBron was asked the question if he'd ever make his way onto it, that's what he said. He didn't bring up LeBron James. Which is great. We going to get mad about you know. There's a lot of people with with that are taking issue with this. Du- I just I don't understand it. It's I nice. Don't.
0: It's nice because I I love baseball for a lot of reasons. But these arguments about Mount Rushmore it's silly. It is silly, and it's 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 NBA and NFL. That's all people talk about. And sometimes you just want to say, sit back and watch. Don't argue. Yeah. Watch Kevin Durant and LeBron James do what they're doing right now instead of worrying about how cocky LeBron James is realize that he's the best player in the league. So instead of being cocky, he's
1: probably just telling the truth. He is telling the truth. I mean, that, you know, as much as you want to hate the guy or or hate the heat because they're easy to hate. Yeah, very easy. <laughs> um, as much as you want to, you can't argue with, A, with, with what Doug just said. He's the best player in the league. And if you want to put the rant there, fine. I can't argue with you there. But LeBron James, his body type, I don't even think you could compare him to Michael Jordan. I don't want to open that can of worms, but they're a different player. Mm-hmm. I, LeBron, Michael Jordan, a physical specimen. I mean, when he played, he was just uh, body fat. I don't think there was any on him. I <laughs> mean, he was just unbelievable when it came to that stuff. But he's a smaller player. I mean LeBron, what was Jordan? 6'6", uh, 220 maybe, 230. And and LeBron is 6'8", 260 for credit. The guy could be a tight end or a quarterback in the NFL. He's that physically gifted and athletically talented. It's so easy for people to hate him because he is so gifted. I mean, when you were in high school and you wanted to be the starting quarterback, which I did, but I was 5'2", a buck 20, it wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't in the cards. Was there jealousy? Was there a a part of me that wanted to be that and saw the guy that was that and said – Man, what I what I wouldn't give to have grown into this body my freshman year in high school. Uh, you know, I'm six feet tall now. I'm a buck 90. Uh, well, buck 80 now. But back then, I was a buck 90. I, I just I, – I would kill to do that. So did I hate people? Yeah. But I respected them because you know what? I just wasn't gifted at the proper time. LeBron James – it, you know, In high school, he was a man among boys. He was a 17-year-old kid that could have beaten a well-seasoned NBA veteran at a game of one-on-one. They're, that's the way you have to look at things. You cannot get on LeBron James. Does he not work hard? No, he works extremely hard. If he didn't work hard, like Kobe Bryant, change his number to 24. He's Mr. 24-7. He works on his game, and it's a shame. It, it's an absolute shame that this guy is not playing right now with the injuries he has because we're all being robbed of a guy who, and you know, you can talk about his past all you want and what happened, but what he does on the court is just so electric, and what he does for the league, and what he does to bring fans in. These are the guys that are polarizing in the league, the guys that bring eyes to the league, the guys you want to see play, and the fact that he's not, it, it hurts because you want to see guys like that on the floor, and you want to see the Lakers, one of the premier teams in the league, have a great team. But all this all this hate towards LeBron, I get it in, some, in certain situations, but in this situation, you can't hate on the guy. The guy is telling the truth.
0: Yeah, there's no question it's a star-driven league. And, you know, the thing about LeBron, I heard somebody analyzing his game recently, I think it was on ESPN, and they said, you know, when LeBron's playing all five positions on the floor... He's. Uh, that's when he's at his best, <laughs> which is true. I mean, the thing is, when he brings the ball up like a point guard, and when he plays in the paint like a center, that's when he's at his best.
1: What? What? What other player can you do? Can do that?
0: And people say that like it's casual, like yo, yeah. When he's uh, when he's playing all five positions well, yeah, he's usually at his best. Well, it's like, oh wait, this guy's six eight, but is faster than many point guards in the league, and can out rebound centers. So it's really
1: unbelievable. And if you he want- goes, if he goes to the hole, Doug. It's going to be a foul or it's going to be be an easy layup or dunk. Yeah, good luck. There's just no way to guard. I mean, I I used to joke with my friends, you know, I don't even know why the Heat are giving it to other guys. Just give it to LeBron. The the guy is unstoppable. Unless you're going to foul him, you're not stopping him.
0: And more to your point, is he there? the reasons to hate LeBron? Is he a bad guy off the court? No.
1: No. He does a lot for charity, especially in his hometown. You know, He does a lot of stuff in Akron. He goes home, and, and, and the money he spends to get these these kids that, that, that aren't well off, he gets them sneakers. He's a great guy off the court. Now, the decision happened a while ago, and, and that ended with me being a Nick fan, and I'll throw it out there. I know I cover the Nets. I can't help how it was raised and where I came up. We're in this together. Yeah, exactly. But... And I I pull for the Nets. Just let me say that. (laughs) So do I. (laughs) Because it's good for all of us. But um, the decision when he came out and said he did the wrong thing, to me, it it hurt me personally. Uh, But you know what? It hurt me for like five minutes. I was over it. You know, he said he was going to Miami. Fine. Go to Miami. I get it. Whatever. Uh, But right now, just like Michael Jordan, just like the hate I had for Jordan, it was just I hate him because he's on the team that always kills my team. You know, But I respect the hell out of LeBron James and what he does night in and night out. That guy never takes a night off. The gas pedal is always pushed to the floor, and he is a tremendous role model while he's on the floor for young kids who want to make it to the NBA. Because if you want to make it and you want to be at that level, you have to work hard there's no slacking off involved in LeBron James game and that's why I respect the guy so much
0: totally agree there's nothing else to say
1: and as far as Gump used to say well said once that's all I have to say about that moving on let's talk about Michael Sam Uh, he has been the number one story uh, out there not only in the sports world but in the world world (laughs) as it were Uh, news programs uh, sports programs all over the place Chris Connolly from ESPN, yep. uh, he was the one that had the interview with him where he where he came out to the world. He came out to his teammates in Missouri uh, in August. And before we even get into this, I just want to – I know hopefully there's a Missouri Tiger that listens to this podcast or the yes Men podcast, but just the fact that they kept this secret with all the social media and they respected his privacy throughout the season so he could have this moment before the NFL draft – I have to give them a huge pat on the back. I really do. That to me, the respect, and they're kids. I mean, they're young men. They're, they're, they're not high school, but, you know, one of them could crack. One of them could go and tweet something, you know, who knows, especially nowadays. But to keep that rock solid for so long, hey, more power to you and a tremendous job by the Missouri Tigers.
0: Unheard of to keep a secret like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it really is impressive um, that, that a college team full of, like you said, young men was able to not only keep the secret but, you know, also support the guy. Mm-hmm. So that's the key.
1: And, see, there's a lot of layers to this. I mean, Doug and I could probably have a podcast that lasts about three hours yep. talking about this subject. There are so many layers you have to peel back. It's like a huge onion. And I just want to bring a, up a couple of points. And I want to start it by saying uh, good for him, number one. I mean, it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of guts, and it takes a lot of, uh, I don't know, it just takes a lot for a person To say that, to be the first openly gay NFL draft prospect, because you put a lot of pressure on yourself. I mean, I don't think once he gets on a team and once he proves he could play, I don't even think we're going to be talking about this anymore. Because him being gay isn't going to matter if his team is winning ballgames and he's making big plays. He, he's a linebacker you know John Stewart joked about it he, you know he comes oh, he on was so great he comes out and he says oh it's a kicker right it's a kicker and then he plays the sound the six foot two 220 pound <laughs> linebacker so you know he did a great job with it the only thing I need to say that I, I'm I'm fully in support of him you know good for him I have no problem with somebody's Lifestyle, the way they choose to live their life. Who am I to say anything about someone else's choices in life? That's not me. I grew up a Catholic. Uh, it goes against everything my religion believes in, but I don't think it's my duty on the earth to tell someone else how to live their life, as it shouldn't be for anybody. And I make that point because. Just as it's so good that Michael Sam came out and he's, he's, he's facing this head-on going into the NFL whenever he gets drafted, whatever round, I don't even think that matters. If he gets on a team, you know, he gets to prove himself, like I said. But I don't think there should be so much hate and there should be, there should be so much uh, anger towards players who aren't comfortable with it. Let's face it. There's a lot of NFL players, and there's the other thing John Stewart brought up. There have been murders. There have been vehicular manslaughters. There have been Michael Vick killing dogs. You know, being gay, <laughs> you know, that isn't that bad. And for the same – for the same, I didn't like the shot he took at Tim Tebow. That was – you know, you didn't need to do that, Mr. Stewart. I, I love your monologues and I love your jokes, but that was unnecessary. I mean, and that's the thing that got me a little upset because he gets mocked a little bit for being a Christian and talking about Jesus so much. Why is being gay such a big thing and being Christian and talking about Jesus a bad thing nowadays? That's the one thing that I have a problem with. I don't know what your thoughts are. Like I said, I have all the respect and, and all the you know, faith in him in the world for, for his decision that he came out to, to do this now. But my thing is, if that's so courageous, why is talking about Jesus a joke? That's my question. I I don't get that. And why we take pot shots at Tim Tebow. Now, listen, was he a great quarterback? No. Did ESPN do every first take show on Tim Tebow and make him the big story? Yeah, but that's not Tim Tebow's fault. Yeah, that that, that 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 was just being talked about every day. It was the saturation of the story. It wasn't his fault. And when he got a chance to go into the spotlight and he made big plays and he beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, let's not forget about that, in the, and they got schmolzed by the New England Patriots in the next round, but he did have that touchdown pass. I think it was Demarius Thomas, crossed the middle, beat the Steelers in that playoff game, the wild card round. And, you know, you thank God. Thank Jesus. Everybody makes fun of him. And that, to the same extent, Doug, goes to the point of, you know, at that point, you're making fun of a guy who's bringing up Jesus and God. And yet you welcome back a guy that was killing dogs. You welcome back a guy, vehicular manslaughter. See, that's the only issue I have. The fact that so many people and I get it, this has never been done before. You, You have to be such a closed minded idiot to sit there and say, well, this doesn't matter. This isn't big news. Yes, it is. It is big news. No one's ever, ever had to do this before. Someone brought up Jackie Robinson. Now, look, it's not – I don't think it's that big. I mean, the racism back then, he's going to have to deal. I mean, he has to be mentally tough. And if his game is there, there's going to be players who aren't comfortable with it and get on the field and talk, talk trash. You know what happens. Not only on the field, Doug. In a locker room as well, Terrell Thomas of the Giants brought this up. He's not, co- I mean, he thinks the same thing, courageous, whatever. He's not comfortable with it, though. And he brought up his religious background and said he's not comfortable with it. I want to know what else Terrell Thomas does, though. Does he lead? Does he lead his life to his religious background and to all his religious beliefs? Or has he done some things that would make Jesus wince?
0: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. People like Terrell Thomas have come out. Uh, Jonathan Vilma came out. Their Jonathan opinions, Vilma whether, whether you agree with their opinions or not, their opinions are important. It shows what the general mindset of the players in the NFL will be on Michael Sam and whether or not they will accept him as a gay man in the NFL. So no matter whether you agree with Terrell Thomas or not, it's important for us to know that there are players in the league who are made uncomfortable by this. So right now, my opinion about the whole thing, Chris, is kind of that I'm nervous because when this story first came out, I agree with everybody that applauds him because I applaud his you know his courage and I applaud the fact that you know at some point we can make the NFL a more progressive league. It seems a little bit ridiculous that it's 2014 and he's the first one, doesn't it? So while I, I am first, first one that has openly, openly came come out. come out, yeah. While I'm applauding him and I'm happy for him and I hope this works, I'm a little nervous that that it won't. I'm nervous that he won't get drafted and that the stories will always be negative. If if he's hazed, like almost all rookies are, people will think it's because he's gay, not because well, he's a rookie.
1: Look at most of the 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 verbiage that was used in the uh Dolphins incident with incognito. Right. I mean we're talking about two guys that were using, you know, homo homophobic slurs in text messages. You know, and, and some more, some new ones just came out as well. So You're talking about two straight guys going back and forth with this stuff. And that's, you know, the culture of a football locker room. And, uh, you know, the only experience I've had with it is in high school. And it's not pretty, you know. And and if you get out on a drill and you don't do a drill right, you get back in the locker room, you're called a lot of names. And a couple of the names that aren't acceptable anymore these days are being used. They're still being used. And, you know, I don't think they carry – what you would think they were, if they're directed at a certain individual uh, who happens to be homosexual, then, yeah, they, they, they have that connotation. But between straight friends, I think that word is still said all the time. And I'm talking about the F word, <laughs> and you could figure it out. But, uh, you know, I just think he's going to have to have – players in the NFL coming in who are not gay have to have thick
0: skin. Totally true. I was about to say the same thing.
1: Rookies get hazed all the time, this kid's skin is going to have to be a hundred times thicker. You know, what if it's just said in jest? What if it's just said in passing, not even directed to, hit, to him, but in the locker room? You know, is he going to get mad? You know, Jackie Robinson, you watch the movie 42, and I don't know how close that is to what actually happened, but, you know, if he heard something in passing, he he would lose it. And he should have. Don't get me wrong. He should have. But how is he going to react to that? You know, Branch Rickey said, Jackie's the right guy. Jackie's the one that has to do this. He has a temper, but he has to be able to hold it. And and look at what he did. He started something that started the integration of Major League Baseball. And my argument with that all the time, and, and I think it's to this too. It's to this point as well. You know, back then African-Americans could pick up a gun and go – Fight Hitler and go fight the Japanese? They could get in planes and shoot the Nazis down and shoot the Japanese down? They can't pick up a baseball bat? I mean, what what the hell was going on back then? And, you know, the talent in the Negro Leagues back then was phenomenal. Phenom- Josh Gibson never got to step foot on a major league field. And that is one of the biggest atrocities on the world because of the color of his skin. It made no Sense and Jackie Robinson made it possible for all the other because if he it would have happened eventually, but because of his temperament and because of how he handled himself, that's why uh, Campanella came aboard. Okay, that's why Elston Howard was a Yankee, that's why all these guys got their shot. Larry Doby, and look at how Larry Doby is looked upon in the Cleveland Indians organization. I mean, these guys should have been in everything earlier but same thing here we we had our we had our underwear in a bunch over gays in the military why you know what if you get saved you, this whole thing about gay what is it i, I don't get it
0: yeah i mean i it, it's silly and 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 chris think about it jason collins came out after it's
1: 2014 uh,
0: uh, jason collins came out as an nba player the first openly gay nba player right and he had basically already retired, although he hadn't officially retired. Now, think about this though: he went on all the talk shows, and and so many stories have been done on him. He did interviews and all that. My hope for Michael Sam is that he doesn't do that. My hope is that he 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 says just go he, play. right, just go play. He says he's gay. That's fine.
1: That's out. Now yes, the story go should it. be play football. now the story should be I'm a great linebacker. Right. And I don't want to hear you know everybody's bringing up he's the defensive player of the year in the SEC. How many Heisman Trophy winners didn't work out? Okay, so if this kid gets his shot and I think he will, someone's going to take a chance on him. the the defensive player of the year in the SEC is not not going to get drafted. He is going to get drafted. He is going to get a shot. And if he does all of his talking, like Doug just said, on the field instead of doing an Oprah special, which will probably happen at some point. But he should make that sometime in the distant future. Make it, as Doug just said. Make your life's work now that you've come out like this, make it football. Lem- and make it only football.
0: Prediction for what team he ends up on, for my early one, Seattle.
1: I think I think Seattle would be a great fit for him. Think about Absolutely. all the personalities yep. they have
0: on that team. They're accepting of almost everybody, and he fits their defensive style, kind of those habsy, and defensive right. end, and linebackers. They, most
1: of them, we talked about this, not drafted, not right. even invited to Combines. Exactly. They have that chip on their shoulder. And
0: Seattle is a very accepting city. Absolutely.
1: You know? I think that would be a tremendous landing place for him. That's a great point out of you. Now, we've, we've covered LeBron. We've covered Michael Sam. We did a great job. We're right online here. But before we go, have to talk about the Yankees. Have to talk a little bit about spring training. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka was introduced at a press conference this week. Uh, so the Yankees have their top three in order. Uh, you have CeCe, you have uh, Hiroki Kuroda, and you have t- uh, Tanaka as your one, two, three. Um, Brian Cashman said he's a solid three, and you hope that he could be a two or maybe even a one. Uh, then the interesting battle for those rotation spots, I think Ivan Nova is going to slide right, barring injury. Uh, I think he'll slide nicely right into that four hole. And then you're looking at David Phelps. You're looking at Vidal Nuno. And you're looking at a couple other guys that can get that Pineda. that five hole. Michael Pineda, thank you for reminding me. Uh, but, you know, as, as last year was, you know, this is just another exciting year. I, I liked last year. Because it wasn't your typical, we're going to the World Series, it's definite, you know, we have a definite shot to win. It's, it's, it wasn't. Nothing was written in stone last year for the Yankees, and everything had to be fought and scrapped. And I know a lot of people don't like that. I know a lot of people like 1998, and they don't even want to watch games because they know that they, they, they won. <laughs> they want 48 losses. It doesn't happen like that every year. I like a little fight. I like some one-run games. I like the fact that the Yankees definitely improved their offense this year, Doug. They got Ellsbury. Uh, I'm really Really looking forward to having McCann behind the plate. And here's why. And I want to get your thoughts uh, on their free agent signings. But we'll start with McCann. And the fact that, you know, he's going to be the leader on the field. And if someone poses after a home run, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to get away with it. And that's something I like about him. That's something that the Yankees were lacking in the past. You know, when David Ortiz sits there and shows up, his, shows up Brian McCann's pitcher, Michael might get a little dicey. And that's what I want to see. I want to see a little, a little fire, a little heat between these rivals again. I, I don't like when players are patting each other on the fanny. Hey, how you doing? How the kid? No. When you're between the lines, be enemies. Okay? It's fine as soon as the game is over. It's fine before the game for a little bit. Don't go over the top. Don't go over the top. I want to see some Fisk months in action this year, especially Yankees-Red Sox. That's exactly what I'm talking about. But I am very excited With Brian McCann, especially that signing.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about almost all of their free agent signings. Uh, This is definitely a more exciting, I think, to the general fan season than last year. Absolutely. I'm like you. I enjoyed watching the team, at least for the first half of last season, because it was different. It was a different year to be a Yankee fan. You were rooting. Every game was like 3-2. If you won a game, it was a big accomplishment. Uh, This year is a little more expectations for the Yanks. Um, I will say, I've been saying this all offseason, I think Michael Pineda is the most important Yankee going into this season. If he is 2011 Michael Pineda, look out for this starting rotation because he's the number five guy.
1: Absolutely. And if that's your five guy – or he might slot into the four. You never know. You know, it depends on the stuff. And, you know, that would that would really be bad for, you know, a guy like David Phelps. But he could be a long yeah, man. Yeah, he's a good
0: bullpen, Ramirez yeah.
1: Mendoza type. Yeah, he could be. An, he was last year. He could be the long man in the bullpen. Uh, get a couple of innings, you know, if, if a starter craps out in the fifth, you bring him in for the sixth and seventh or to get you to the seventh to make that bridge to the bullpen. But... I'm with you. Uh, there is so much to look forward to this year. The Yankees just did a tremendous job, as they always do in the offseason, trying to bring in the best talent for their fans. And uh, last year is going to be in the rear view, and I think it's pretty quick. It, you'd hope, you would, you really hope that Teixeira comes back. He has no issues with that wrist. Uh, wrists are always dicey, especially for him. You know, he hits from both sides of the plate. Uh, he came back last year, he was right back. Uh, off the field with the surgery. So you just hope that wrist is able to hold. He seems to think he's come out and said that everything went well. uh, The rehab went well. So you would hope to share a holds in there at, at first second base, you know, Brian Roberts, if he stays healthy, Doug, I I, I like the guy, High ceiling, uh, you know, you know, we can't, we have to be honest though. He just hasn't been able to stay on the field. Derek Jeter, same thing, you know, a shortstop. We we really don't know what we're going to get out of him. Uh, he comes back. He comes back from the from the ankle, and he goes right back on the DL. Not once, but twice, and he's done for the season. So you just hope that Joe Girardi is able to, you know, massage his way through the season with no other injuries. And if he could stay healthy, that would make it even easier for the Yankees. But I love the way the lineup is situated, and I love the fact I saw somebody on Twitter say they hate Brett Gardner. I don't know how you could hate Brett Gardner. The guy he. Like last year, Jason Nix, the guy is a ball player. You know, Jason Nix isn't an all-star. Jason Nix isn't going to hit 320. He's not even going to hit 300. Jason Nix is a ball player, though. He's going to give you a solid defense, and he's going to get a hit every now and again. Maybe he draws a walk. Brett Gardner, you have Ellsbury at the top of that order. You have Gardner at the bottom of that order. I'm sorry. That... that, with this pitching that they have, if CC, I'm not saying CC has to go back to 2009, Doug. He doesn't. But he has to be better than he was last year. If they get CC Sabathia back on track, they get Hiroki Kuroda pitching to the point where he doesn't have to be what he was in last year's first half, because I think that just. They rode him way too much. I mean, he he's a thoroughbred, and by the last race, uh, you know, he was he was gimping to the finish line. But he gets a pass because if it wasn't for Hiroki Kuroda, the Yankees aren't set in September to make a possible run. Which they were, they were they were set up for a possible run. That was because of one Hiroki Kuroda. So he comes back and you know manage his innings a little bit better this year. Don't leave him out there so long. Uh, you got to manage the pen just the way he did last year. As well, David Robertson. You'd hope that uh, the baton is passed flawlessly, effortlessly between him and Mariano Rivera. He's ready to take on that role. Uh, he said it already. Um, it, it's there's just there's so many storylines. There's so many things to look forward to. And like you said, it's not like last year where you know by the time spring training uh, broke, and you were looking at Lyle Overbay as your you know opening day first baseman, like. What the hell had just happened to my team? You know, but Overbay—I can't make fun of the guy. He—he he, he was great. You know, in—in—in in, in a year where the Yankees didn't know what the hell was going to happen at first base, Lyle Overbay comes in and gives them some very meaningful hits. You know, for a stretch of the season. He was big hit Lyle. Oh, yeah. He was. So I'm not making light of his situation at all. But this year, you're going in, you know, Valentine's Day with a lot of love for this Yankee team this year.
0: I was a pitcher in high school, Chris. All I will say is uh, a lineup with speed at the top, speed at the bottom, and a lot of power in the middle. That's hectic. You don't want to yeah, face that.
1: that uh, you don't want to face it. And as a pitcher on the Yankee staff, you're thanking your lucky stars yep. that you're pitching for that lineup. Uh, and that's another thing. You know, when you go out there as a starter and you know your lineup, and no offense to the Yankees' lineup last year, but it was Old Mother Hubbard and there was nothing in the cupboard. Joe Girardi, you know, when the Yankees won a game, I don't know how the guy has hair follicles left. He earned his managerial stripes last year. Even with that 2009 World Series win, I don't think that was his best year managing. I think last year was. They didn't make the playoffs. I think it was his best year managing. He had to do the most with the least, and he did. He got the most out of his players, and I'm happy the Yankees brought him back and they gave him the contract because I think he proved himself last year. He proved himself his first year with the Marlins back in 2006. You know, it wasn't a band of misfits. He had Miggy down there. You know what I mean? And he had Hanley as well. It wasn't exactly a band of misfits, but – He proved his mettle with the Marlins down there in 2006 and with the Yankees, a team that always has the talent and always has the opportunity. They didn't last year, and the Yankees almost made the playoffs. That speaks volumes about the way Joe Girardi can manage a ball club. And I know a lot of people have their problems with him and, you know, the notebook and this, that, and the other thing, but uh, he did a great job last year. One more point I want to make, and that is – and this is just generic, off-the-beaten-path baseball. I want to get your thoughts on it, too. And I know the Yankees are always built for power. They are. They're always built to come back in, you know, with a big home run, whatever. That, to me, though, when, when someone puts it out there, and, and people have in the past, when someone puts it out there as a blanket statement that that's us and we're not going to change, I've played baseball my whole life. I still do. So you're telling me you're down a run. In a big playoff game, you're not going to bunt a guy over. You're going to wait for a two-run homer so you take the lead. You're not going to try to tie the game. See, that that thinking to me, it, it makes no sense. I, I look at the person like they have nine heads. And a lot of people bring that up, and I just wanted to bring it up with you and see what your thoughts were. I know how they're built. I know for the most part they're not going to, you know, listen, in the first inning, you're down a run. You're not butting a guy over. You got plenty of time. But seventh, eighth inning, you need somebody to bunt. And I know you're not going to get to share to do it. Even though if he did, he'd have a double every time he did it with the shift. And the only way that's going to stop is if the guy starts hitting the other way. And the shift will stop. And he tried to do that last year for about two weeks. And he got hurt, of course, but you know, I just what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think the Yankees usually do a pretty good job of using their personnel, so uh, two years ago they were home run happy, and it was uh, annoying if they were you know down a run and they just couldn't get the home run. It Drove seemed like nuts. it seemed like there was no way for them to come back, but last year they had the personnel for more of a bunt and you know bloop and blast kind of mm-hmm. you know kind of mix it together combination. They use their personnel to kind of decide for them what type of offense they're going to have. This year, it's going to be kind of a hybrid because you have the power in the middle, but then you're going to have guys like, who knows, Brett Gardner, Scott Sizemore, and uh, Kelly Johnson and Brian Roberts at the end of your lineup who are going to be able to do the bunting and the stealing and the hitting to the opposite side of the field, the selfless at-bats, where it's like, just got to get the guy over. So it's kind of that hybrid mixture between the power guys who are going to want to pad the stats and the guys who will hit it to the left side of the infield to get a guy over. I,
1: I love the word hybrid. It's a cross between Northern California's Enzimia and Kentucky Bluegrass. Feather <laughs> bends bent for all my Caddyshack fans out there. But uh, this was a good one. I'm looking forward to spring training. I'm looking forward to the Yankee season. I want to thank Doug once again of course, uh, for being here with me on the new Chris Sheeran show at YesNetwork.com. And don't forget to check out the Yes Men podcast as well. Hashtag Yes Men, hashtag CSS. And we will see you back here next week with more on YesNetwork.com. Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening.